Morning. morning. Pastor Rob, welcome to our 9 o'clock service here this morning. We are in the middle, of someone said already here this morning, the four-week challenge. So those of you who weren't here, let me recap very quickly. When we started this series, the first challenge. It's a series of challenges that are really designed to help us more um, intentionally uh, and more um, purposefully live out the Christian life. You know, we gave out these bands, Live on Purpose, okay? It's, it's, you know, the Christian life in many ways is gift, right? The gospel is free gift. But then the question is, what are you going to do with that gift? We need to invest it, and that's what the four-week challenge is about. First one was about um, spending more time with God, right? We talked about this three weeks ago. That is, not only reading the Word of God, the Bible, but allowing it to read you, right? Sharp, two-edged sword that divides the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. These are metaphors, but it's saying, listen, the Word of God needs to get into the center of your life, your assumptions, your beliefs, and your sins, and it needs to do break up that ground, right? That's how transformation takes place. So many of you are doing that. You can do that with us if you haven't got in the game. You know, as you don't have a reading plan of your own, go to our website, go to the, you know, the tab that says, I think it says media, I think, go down to the bottom, resources, 365. You can print out or digit, get a digital version of the reading plan, Genesis and Matthew, where it started at the first of the year. Second challenge was to spend time with others in accountable community. It's not my idea. It's, it's the writers of the New Testament, Jesus himself, that said, listen, you can only reach your full spiritual potential in accountable community with other people, right? You cannot love uh, others. You can't just love yourself in this little community. Love one another as I have loved you. Speak the truth one to another. Bear one another's burdens. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you, and on and on and on. It's why it's called the body of Christ, okay? Second uh, challenge is to get an accountable community. Many of you did that uh, last week as a part of that launch. Third thing, which is our focus for the minutes this morning, is the third challenge is to know first and to use or invest your gifts, right? Uh, I happen to get a paycheck uh, to be a pastor, okay? It's wonderful. But uh, everyone is in the ministry, if you read the New Testament, right? It's not, you know, we're going to pay those guys or those gals to do this work for us, check the box. No, every member is a minister. And it's not only a matter of getting the work done, it's a matter of experiencing the spiritual satisfaction that some of us think, where is it? Where, how come the promises of God seem to be nothing more than words on a page? Well, it's because you haven't gotten in the ministry, Right? It's only when you own the Christian life and you are serving that the, the power of God is time-released in a manner of speaking in your life. So that's what we're talking about today. Let me just start with the end in mind. We want to challenge you in just a few minutes, right? Some of you who are already serving, maybe you've been serving as a small group leader, maybe you're a parking lot leader, maybe you're a, a mission, uh, serving on missions teams of a kind. It's time for some of you to take a step up right, to another level of leadership because you've been doing this for a while. God has prepared you and allow someone else to step to get the seat behind you. Some of you have never been involved at all, right? You've been a kind of a receiver only and a consumer only. And let me say this to you. There are no unemployed Christians, right? It, we're all supposed to be a part of the game. And there's going to be an opportunity for some of you to take a first step. Simple things. Join our parking team. 
be a, a small group leader if you saw the video that started this service at the very beginning. Not all of you were here. In our, in our, with our students or our, our children. Serve in uh, youth ministry, kids ministry, in our outreaches around the city. We'll talk about it. There's a number of opportunities for you to do that. We're going to have a special opportunity. I'll mention this in a minute to be involved with one of our local city schools, okay? It's your time to get into the game. So today's message is about knowing and using your gifts. The title of the sermon is Life on Purpose, Romans chapter 12. You have a copy of the Bible. Read along with me as we read our text this morning or follow along. Romans 12, 1 through 8 of Paul's letter to the church at Rome. It says these words, Therefore... Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, as I do to you this morning. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many of us here, right, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts According to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then encourage, give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully, right? In this one word, you know, in verse 12, verse 1, therefore, right? The writer of the, this letter to the, uh, to the Rome church in Rome, the apostle Paul, packs in, you know, uh, everything there is to say about the gospel. He just unpacked it, right? Everything had changed the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All the Old Testament people of God, everything changed. It was an end of the entire Old Testament system. And he's saying, listen, I want to take everything that I've just said, all of these great spiritual truths, many of them theological in the first 11 chapters, what does this mean that Jesus Christ fulfilled the law, every point of it, fulfilled it for you and fulfilled it for me and died for our sins? And he explodes these truths and he wants to apply it to the life of the New Testament Christian. That's you and that's me. Therefore, and what he's saying is, right, Jesus Christ, many of you know this, but put an end in his death and in his rec resurrection to the entire Old Testament system of worship. And be careful, that's what this passage is about, right? Worship is not, he's saying, listen, what does it mean now to worship? I mean, can you imagine? I don't know what would be a good equivalent for us, but if for some reason someone waved a wand and all the churches like this one just went away, right? Not only went away because they bulldozed them, but in other words, that, that whole religion just came to an end. What would you do next Sunday, right? I mean, it's, it's a kind of what happened to those people who were part of the Old Testament people of God. And he said, listen, Jesus Christ has put an end to it for a thousand years, okay, give or take. The people of God did the same thing every single week, year in and year out, week in and week out, month in and month out. They took a ritual sacrifice, right? 
very elaborate, you know, whether it was a, a, a bird or a, a, a dove or a, a lamb or a ram. They took a ritual sacrifice, they killed it, and they brought it to the altar, right? This was the way that they worshiped. That's what they understood for thousands of years. And in one uh, sacrifice, Jesus Christ brought it all to an end. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's no more sacrifice for sin. But, here's the point. Sacrifice is still at the heart of worship. Okay, This is what Paul is trying to say. I urge you, brothers and sisters, yes, in a manner of speaking, you can, you can finally put down that, you know, that system. You no longer need to do it this way. But sacrifice is still at the heart of what it means to worship God. But instead of a dead animal that you come, maybe you put your nice clothes on, maybe there's a protocol, that you come and you offer, right, in some ceremony, and then you go on and live your life the way you want to live it, the rest of the week, you've done your duty. Well, see, the sacrifices at the heart of this system is not a dead animal. It is a living sacrifice. Paradox, he's making a point. In other words, it's your life, my life, lived out on the altar of human need all around you. That's what he's saying. Talk about it completely blowing their mind. You want to know what it means to worship God? in view of his mercy because of the love he's given to you, right? Everything has changed. And now you, friend, me, friend, right? All of us, we are the sacrifices. What it means to, I'm glad you're here this morning. Pray with me, sing with me, listen with me. But this is just scratching the surface of worship. What it means to worship God, okay, is that you and I, out of gratitude and love, we go out into the world and we serve the world with our hearts, with our intellects, with our money, whatever it is. We serve the world. On, we give our lives. We give our gifts on the altar of human need all around us. And here's one of the amazing things. Many people say, I'd believe in God if the world wasn't such a mess. And I get that. It's an interesting question. It's not my sermon this morning. But I will say this. If what it means to serve Christ and to be a Christian is to meet human need, oh my goodness, it's everywhere. You, you can get on an airplane and go to Senegal, and you need to, some of us need to, or to various places in the world, but you don't need to leave your own neighborhood or your office or your street. Frankly, you don't need to leave this room to find human need for which you can give. Okay, that's what we're talking about. Sacrifice. God's will for your life. This is what this passage is saying is only discovered, right? This is all about God's will. In your service to the world. Some of us don't know what God's will is for our life. We're still in our head because we haven't gotten in the game of, of realizing that what it means to worship God is not simply to come to church and give this or give that. It's the living out of your life, serving on the altar of human need. It begins by this new form of worship. Knowing who you are, right? That's what he's saying here. You need to know who you are. You know, you, maybe you've heard this language before if you've been in church well. You know, I have a new identity in Jesus. What in the world does that mean? Is it a, is it a badge? Is it a card? No, what is, it, what is a new identity? You know, many people, if, if you're a person that doesn't know, that doesn't know the joy, that the joy of the Lord, let me quote the book of Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord, Nehemiah said, is your strength. 
Now, that has become kind of a cliche, but it's a theological truth. Saying, listen, how do I find the ability to do what you just said, Paul or Rob, that is, go into the world, and my life is going to be given, serving on the altar of human need. What's the motivation for that, right? If I'm a Christian, what's the motivation? I'm not earning my salvation. I'm not earning my ticket to heaven. You know, there's no sort of, you know, gun to my head in a manner of speaking. What's the motivation? He's saying, listen, the joy of the Lord, okay, that is your motivation, okay? Now, why is it that some of us don't have it, right? He's telling you in this passage. Because you've been finding your identity. In other words, what is it you really um, are motivated? What motivates you? That's your identity. How do I find my, if it's my job, then I'm all about my job. If it's about my family, it's all about my family. If it's about my, my athletic prowess or my intellectual prowess, what is your identity, And you are either finding your identity out of the love of God in view of God's mercy. That's the core um, thing that satisfies your deepest need. Or you're finding it in the things of this world, okay? The pervasive culture of this world. He says, listen, I urge you, brothers and sisters. That's a a way of talking about the body of Christ. he's, He's talking to Christians, And you will say, gee, if I'm a Christian, isn't that an automatic that I'm going to live out of God's love for my life? No, it's not, okay? Brothers and sisters, I'm encouraging you out of God's love as a response to God's love, almost like a sponge that's been saturated. Now I want you to go out and, and, and you know, and, 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 and wet those, uh, moist, uh, give moisture to the people around you to do something good with your life. Isn't that a natural and automatic inclination of every Christian? No, it's not. You have to choose to find your identity in the love of God. And if you don't, he wants to urge them. It's not just a nice thing to do. Right? To find your identity in Christ. It's a necessary thing to do. This is what Jesus means when he says, you know, uh, unless you lose your life, you're not going to find it. Right? He's not saying by saying that, um, you know, he was not asking you to be a martyr. He's saying, listen, true joy only comes, now listen to this, not a very popular message, but it's, it's so true. When you put to end the idea that you have a right to live your life the way that you want to, okay? Now, that sounds counterintuitive because you think, and I think, even as Christians, true joy is me getting what I want and getting this job or getting this, you know, a situation. In other words, it's controlling my environment. You know, it's, it's, it's the gusto. Go, go get what I can get out of this world. Mind my own satisfaction. But that's not the way we were made. He's saying it's not true. He's saying, listen, I urge you, brothers and sisters, that's not the way life works. You need to put to death the idea that you have the smarts and the understanding to run your own life. Either you will learn to live out of God's love, which is what you were made to contain, right? Either you will live out of God's love. That's what the habits are about, by the way. Why are, what's the point of these habits? the word of God, accountable community serving. It's the way in which you learn to live out of God's love. Either you will learn to live out of God's love, which is what you were made to contain, okay, as a human being, or that vacuum that is your heart and my heart will be automatically filled 
by the pervasive culture and values of this world. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12, 2, this is the Phillips translation. Do not let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, is what he's saying. But let God remold your mind from within. That's what he's saying. Only in a gospel-centered life, I can use that term, that's what the habits are about, can you see yourself for who you truly are, and listen very carefully, this gospel-centered life, being filled with God's love, it's, it, the habits do that over time, versus the world and its cultural values, that my life all becomes about not serving others, but serving myself, not to go to the world to give, but to go to the world to get, and I become, even as a follower of Jesus Christ, I become nothing different from the world. I'm driven by the values of this world. I'm either filled with God's love or by the pervasive culture. Now, a gospel-centered life, this is what these habits are about, is the only defense against two things, an inflated ego or self-condemnation, right? These are the twin killers of reaching your full potential. Listen to these verses, the ones I just read. For by the grace of God given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, right? That was the whole story of the Old Testament people of God. But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment, underlined in accordance with the faith that God has given you in view of God's mercy. Wake up and realize that the love of Jesus Christ, if you really understand it, if you look at it, if you contemplate it and allow it to grow in your hearts, what the habits are about, and explode in your mind, it will change the whole course of your life. And you don't have to go to the world to get validation. You don't have to go to the world to get satisfaction. You don't have to get, go to the world to get a report card on you. You've already got one. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter and who I am well pleased. Now let's go out there and, and make a difference in the world. Right? That's what we're talking about. And until you get to that place, until I get to that place, you could be a, 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 a born again on your way to heaven Christian. Let me tell you, you won't know the joy of the Lord. That's what we're talking about. Now once you know who you are, <laughs> My second point in this two-point message. You need to do what you know. Right? That's what this point is. Right? It's all about worship. He's, he's redefining worship. By the way, okay, New, uh, a little uh, Greek lesson for you. The word service, which I'm talking about today, know and use your gifts, and the word worship, it's the same word. Right? Let's demystify worship. You know, it's not this. Of course, it includes this, of course. You know, of course, it includes um, piety. But worship, what it means to worship God is to go out there on the altar of human need and make a difference. I'm going to give you an extreme example. But how many, anyone seen the movie Just Mercy? Okay. I've, I don't think I've done this, Gary, in my 15 years to tell people to go to the movies too much. But go to the movies, okay? Because that movie, Brian Stevenson, is a real person. Talk about an example of someone who lived out this verse. Unbelievable story, right? The world is an opportunity for you and I uh, to do this kind of work. God's gifts, if you read this passage carefully, are as an extension of his grace that's given to each of us for the purpose of bringing his love to bear on the world around us. 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you, each of you, it, not just, you know, 
the, the mature Christians or the longtime Christians or the, uh, the, the paid Christians. No, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. That's why, by the way, the gifts aren't used to just fill your own pockets and meet your own needs. That's where, that, that's, there's, there's a sickness in the body of Christ when people do. They do that all the time. You know, whether it's a musical gift or any kind of gift, you use it just to satisfy yourself. It's a sickness. It's a grace that you have been given, right, to meet others' needs in various and sundry. Are you doing that? And until you do that, you will not know the joy of the Lord, which is your strength. We're all given a creative energy. Maybe that's another way of talking about it. Uh, to make the world a different place. Only when you live out of that love that's been given to you, right? Do what you know. That's what I mean by the term, do what you know. Will you find the joy that's at the heart of the Christian life? You say, well, listen, Rob, back to where you were 10 minutes ago. Are you trying to say to me that if I join the parking team, I'm gonna find joy? Or if I decide I'm going to... Um, Join the media team, I'm gonna find joy. Or if I'm gonna, uh, as you saw that opening video if you were here, become a small group leader for elementary school kids, I'm gonna find the joy I need. The answer to that is possibly yes, okay? And or that opportunity leads to another opportunity, which leads to another opportunity. Next thing you know, you're on a plane to go to Senegal. Really? See, this is what it is. I, I don't know how many people have said to me, maybe you, and this isn't just in the Christian world of ministry, but who said, you know what? And I say, you know, how did you ever become a doctor? How did you ever become a minister? How did you ever become, you know, uh, uh, a, a, a professional athlete? You know, and people say to me, I never dreamed I would do this. You see, I started this way, and my uncle said this, and I did this, and someone said this. This is how it works, guys. But if you're just gonna sit there all day long and, and say, well, I, until that, you know, until that beautiful opportunity, until someone comes and says to me, you know, will you star in my movie? You know, that's what some of us are living our lives. Well, listen, it's never gonna happen. That's not how it happens, right? That's not how it happens. You do what you know, and when you do what you know, one thing leads to another. Let me share a quick story with you. Okay, two friends of mine, friends of, of, of this church, members of this church, um, Pascal and Anne-Marie Soro, some of you know them. Perfect example of living this out. They got into a season of their life, they've been Christians for years, and they said, you know, we're, we're, we're in this dry season of empty nest, now what, Lord? They said, we're gonna open ourselves up. They got involved in this um, refugee ministry. Listen to this brief story that uh, Anne-Marie shared with me oh, two weeks ago. As new empty nesters and entering the hardest phase of our lives, I felt like I had been fired. This is Anne-Marie, okay? Her kids are grown. Or at least laid off. The void was significant. Mom was my main, job, my main job, my main role, and now what? So Pascal and I signed up with the refugee ministry, letting them know that we were available in being paired with a family that speaks French. There's a refugee ministry in this church working with folks that have come into town because they spoke French. The day we were brought over to meet a Congolese family, the coordinator happens to mention the family of six has a deaf daughter. Pascal and I are stunned. Mandy had no idea I was a sign language interpreter. 
Nyenge was an 11-year-old girl with no language of any kind. Her life was spent in soundless, languageless bubble without access to information about herself and the world around her. When we first met the family, I walked away very upset because I had just given away boxes of winter clothes that would have fit her. Among those clothes was a coat that our youngest, Sophie, loved and wore for years. As ridiculous as it sounds, this really gnawed at me for days. Here is where God shows up and winks in you and says, I see you. The next week, we went to pick up the family for an outing. When we pulled up, I nearly cried. Nyenge was wearing Sophie's coat. The Rochester International Academy, where she was going to school, had taken the students to Saint's Place to pick out clothing, and she picked Sophie's beloved coat. I had no way to explain to her why I was so excited. She must have thought, what is wrong with this crazy white woman? Okay. God knew what he was doing because I immediately had this raging fire to see Nyenge moved from Ria, Rochester International Academy, where she sat in silence all day in a school for hearing people, learning nothing, to the Rochester School for the Deaf where she would at least learn a language and have access to the world around her. With Rob Tawney, one of the BCC Deaf members, we set up a tour of RSD and the ball got rolling. I remember how her parents reacted when they learned that Nyengi could live at school during the week if they chose. They would care for her, feed her, do her laundry, put her on sports teams, teach her a language and educate her. They could not even believe this was possible, that their deaf child would have an education. They were amazed. It took two months, but Nyenge moved into the dorms that winter, and now, two years later, she has near fluency in a language, and for the first time, she can express thoughts, feelings, ideas. She has a community with whom she can communicate, good friends, teammates, and access to a bright future as well as access to the gospel. God let me play a very small role in a very big picture when I felt my identity was crumbling. How does this affect me? Question mark. In those moments when the enemy shouts at me that I'm worthless, I look back and remember the journey of Sophie's coat. Isn't that a great story? Okay. On that nice clap, now it's your turn, okay? There's a number that's going to go up. You can do this right while you're here. You can also do it when you walk out of this room in five minutes or whatever. But listen, what is this going to get if you text serve? A series of opportunities. Now, if it's just boxes you check, right? No one's going to show up at your house tomorrow. But if you want to be involved in congregational care on our media team, on parking lot, if there's an area you want as your first step, or, your, or another opportunity with our students, as you saw in that video. Or there are also on this checkbox four different opportunities to be involved in the city of Rochester. Uh, we have a number of partners in the city. Rochester Family Mission, uh, Open Door Mission, uh, Bethel Express. I can't remember all the ones on there. If you want to get involved in a city partner, you can do that, okay? But for many of you, maybe more than half in this room, I don't know, you're not doing anything. Get in the game. Know who you are and do what you know and experience the joy of the Lord that is your strength, okay? This is how we change the world. 
Brian Stevenson didn't become Brian Stevenson in one day. It took him 20 years. Okay, that's, the, that's what it means. Get in the game so God can begin to serve, his, use his power through you where your life becomes, you are a living sacrifice that is given on the altar of human need all around you. And listen, that, that sad person, that broken person, that, that, that obstinate person, that need around you, in that small thing could become the doorway into God's greater purpose for your life, right? But you gotta take a step forward. Now, what is this, okay? I'm going back to school. No, all right, listen. We have a couple partnerships uh, one of, I mean, one of our partnerships with the Rochester City School District, we started this, gosh, seven, eight, nine years ago, just tutoring a couple schools. I think we started with 33. We moved on to uh, 2846. And um, about a month ago, or two maybe, um, a guy in this church said, hey, I heard you guys are doing that. I'm, an, I'm, I'm a new, a relatively new vice principal, former teacher at school number 10 a new school, relatively, a 10-year-old school, meeting in Marshall High School. And he said, can you guys get in, how could you help us? Could, could we be part of the, uh, of the partnerships? And I said, well, okay, Jason, he's here in this room. And I said, well, you know, we'd like to help. Uh, maybe we could do something for students. He said, that's great. And I said, well, what do you have in mind? And he said, uh, you know, some, he said, we, there are some basic needs, right, that students have. I, I came to the school hoping it would be all about reading and writing, but it's become about some other basic needs, right? There, there has to be some needs met before people have the focus on reading and writing, you know, basic needs. I said, okay. I said, maybe we can start a little something, you know, and, and, and you know, maybe some small groups. I said, how many kids would you like us to serve? And he said, all of them. <laughs> I said, how many do you have? He knew exactly the number, 324. Okay, so what we're going to do is we said, well, let's think about it. It's, it's, let, maybe we could do something as a congregation, just a small first step. I said, and, and we came up with this idea. So Jason, are you here somewhere? Why don't you, would you mind standing up real quick? There's Jason. Now, don't, don't clap for him yet because I'm going to embarrass two other people. He has with him the principal of his school, Cameron Clyburn. Are you here, Cameron? Thank you. And also the principal of 28, Susan Ladd. Thank you guys for standing up and for being here this morning. Give these guys a hand, okay? Now, I didn't tell them I was going to do that. But anyway, <laughs> so um, this is an opportunity for us, right? Some of you, right? Some of you are going to do the other things I just mentioned, but some of you, maybe a family, take one of these backpacks. They're out there on the way out. There's a list right in it. It's very simple. It's designated by boy, girl, etc. You fill it up, you love it, you pray over it, and you bring it back next Sunday. Okay? That's the plan. Amen? You guys can have a seat. Thank you very much. Okay, now. Know your gifts and use them. Okay? Don't leave this room, whether it's text or talk to someone at the Next Step Center about the list, the things I said a few minutes ago. Many of you will do this as a first step to see God use you. But let me close the service with pointing towards next week, okay? This is called the four-week challenge, but in that there are four challenges, so it's been five weeks. Next week, the challenge is, this, the, today's sermon title, Live on Purpose, is also the title of the series that begins next Sunday, 
okay? It's a new series back in the book of Matthew that we are in, Matthew chapter 15 and 16. And it's about the nature and possibilities of having a real faith in Jesus, okay? What does it mean? This is the center of the gospel of Matthew. What are the nature and possibilities? And, you know, the, 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 sometimes uh, th- this is the challenge of being a Christian and even a non-Christian. We tend to think that the, 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 the pervasive culture the do not be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewing mind. The pervasive culture, the ups, the downs, the job losses, the health challenges, you know, the stock market, you know, the politics, good night, whatever it is, okay? We have a tendency to believe that the world and its values is more decisive in your life than the Lord Jesus Christ himself, right? Even Christians believe that. And so we just kind of shrink back in all these great promises of the scriptures they, of, of what it means to have a faith in Christ become kind of toothless and you know, um, just become meaningless. But see, that's not what they were meant to be. This was uh, in this passage of scripture, just as an example. Well, let me start this. We're gonna start next Sunday in this new series, which is titled Live on Purpose, okay, for six weeks, with the most famous story in all of the Gospels, the story of the feeding of the 5,000 or the loaves and the fishes. But you know what that story is really about? Why is it the most famous story? Why is it in all four Gospels? Because what it's trying to say is this. It's not about what you have that matters, okay? It's not about what you have that matters. Because some of you have this little bit of a talent, some of you have, you're a one talent, two talent, five talent. You remember that parable? It's not about what you have. See, a lot of you take yourselves out of the game because you think you don't have very much or you've blown it in your life. It's not about what you have. It's about where you take what you have, right? Namely to Jesus, right? And if you learn what it means to take what you have, your heart, your family, your gifts, and bring it, what it really means to bring it to Jesus, okay? I don't mean that in a a cliche way. What does it really mean? This is an adventure that will change the whole course of your life. And that's true if you're a seasoned Christian or it's true if you're, uh, you, you don't even know what it means to be a Christian. So the fifth challenge, or I should say the fourth challenge in the four week challenge is for you, I've been saying this, hopefully you've been paying attention, to invite somebody in your world. Maybe it's your neighbor, maybe it's your friend, maybe it's your, someone that you work with, maybe it's someone you've talked with, maybe it's a student, maybe it's a teacher, to come and join you, right? Remember the, the original, how the church started? These fishermen, they say, hey, I met someone that said things I never met. Come and see, come and see, come and see, come and see. Well, I don't believe that. Anything good come out of Nazareth? I don't believe it. Come and see. Next week is an opportunity, right, to invite somebody, not just to a service. Yes, it'll be a great service, but you're inviting them to, to, to really to the experience. I want you to in, in challenge you to invite them to the whole series, Live on Purpose. That's the challenge. Are you with me? Yeah. Amen. All right, let's stand. Stand with me. Let's pray. God and Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. I thank you for every man and woman and student in this room. I thank you for our, 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 our two principals in this school and Jason as well. Thank you for them being here. We thank you for what they do. 
uh, in what I would say one of the most challenging environments uh, to, to live out their faith and just to, just to be a professional in our school system. And we thank you, God. I thank you that they made that choice. I thank you that they love students. I thank you that they're here. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us this morning as a congregation, every one of us in this room, to take a step forward. Who knows how many Brian Stevensons are in this room today? I pray, Lord, that you would do something. You would release your power. You would release your um, wisdom in our lives. Lord, send more of us to Senegal. Send more of us to the city of Rochester. Send more of us to um, the, the, the hallways of our offices and our student um, uh, rooms. And I just pray that you would do something immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Bless us as a church. Help us to be a blessing to this community. And we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.